last week was absolutely amazing. Um, Easter here uh, was just amazing, and I want to say thank you to our team. Our team of volunteers, our, our team that was up here, our team that was in the parking lot, uh, just thank you, thank you, thank you guys for setting an environment that I heard all week long from guests and from family that was in town and out of town, uh, just how amazing it was and how God-honoring it was and how focused it was. And so I just want to say thank you to our team of volunteers and what you guys do. And, and uh, we have a lot of people who serve on various teams and in different ways. If you're not serving... Uh, you're missing out, and it's an opportunity to connect, but it's also an opportunity to give and contribute in a lot of different ways, not just on Sunday morning. And so I think for those that weren't on those teams, can we just say thank you to that team and what they did all, all leading up to Easter and how amazing that was. Um, we're going to be starting a new series. It's going to be a short series, but if we're not careful, here's what happens. We develop insider language. If you've been around church for a minute, if you've been around Wellhouse for a minute, uh, and it's language that we don't even notice as insider anymore, but if you were new or if you're new to faith or new to church or new to Wellhouse, you might go, I'm not sure what that is. I hear it a lot. And so we're going to start a series called Any Given Sunday, and it's really things that you either see or hear on any given Sunday. And so we're going to talk through a few basic things. We're going to start today with baptism, and then next week you're going to be able to see that displayed. We're going to do a baptism Sunday, and so if that's been on your radar, or if it gets put on your radar after today. But we talk a lot about baptism here. We talk about communion every week. And if you didn't grow up taking communion, if you don't know about communion, it's kind of weird. I mean, we get up here and we talk about like body and blood, and you're like, oh, hold up. I'm, I'm kind of just filling out church. I'm not into that. So we're going to make sense of that a little bit. Uh, we're going to talk about giving. Mindy, just a second ago, talked about how important that is if you're a partner. We believe that's worship. But we turn that into acts of generosity in our community. We take care of people. We make sure that... We, they know that they are not just loved emotionally, but physically we try to take care of needs. We have a whole team that's set up just to distribute that money and, and be generous. And we're going to talk about why that's so important and how as a partner we've got to be sacrificial in that. And then we're going to talk about attendance. We're going to talk about you on any given Sunday. It's important that we gather and we worship. We do all of these things collectively as a body. And so we're really excited and hopefully it will begin to uh, make sense of some language that we use on a regular basis or make sense of these tables or make sense of why it's so important to give, those, those sorts of things. So today we're going to talk baptism. I just want to let you know out of the gate, this is not comprehensive. There's a lot about each of these topics. We could do series about each of these topics. I just want to kind of get the ball rolling. I'm going to give you some fundamental things, some basic things about each of these kinds of things. But in baptism, there's a lot of different ways and views and things and perceptions and thoughts that come with this concept of baptism. You've heard of it. You've seen it probably. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you have, but there's all these stories, and so I try to think back to some of the stories that I've encountered through the years when it comes to baptism, and there's a lot. I'll start with mine. I've actually done it twice. The first time that I was baptized, I was 10 years old, and it was on my heart so much that I was laying in my bed asleep when I decided to do it, and you go, hold up, how do you lay? Well, here's what happened. I was at camp, and I was uh, uh, again, again in my bed asleep, and my counselor comes and wakes me up. And if you have ever tried to wake me up, it's quite a task. It's like you got to shake the room in order to get me up. I was dead out. So finally, I wake up, and he says, hey, your cousin Mary is going to be baptized. And so your family had me come get you. And so I kind of pull myself out of bed and you know, wipe the sleep from my eyes. And so we get to this little place that she's going to be baptized. And while we're there, someone just asked the question, well, Jason... Have you thought about it? And again, I was 
so, what, emotionally and so spiritually moved, obviously being dead asleep, that I thought, yeah, let's do it. I mean, why not, right? My cousin's doing it. And so that was kind of my original story. And I hadn't put any thought into it. I hadn't really thought about what it means and what am I, what am I doing and why am I doing these things. I just did it because my cousin was doing it and we were there and somebody asked me to do it and so why not. And you know what I did after that moment? I was so moved that I went right back to sleep. And that was my story. And so several years later, when I became an adult, I said, you know what, I want to do, not because I feel like it didn't take, but I want to do it because I have a different understanding. I understand now that it's about identity. There's some other things I've heard. I've heard of people being peer pressured. I've heard of people doing it out of fear. If you don't, this might happen. And so fear is that primary motivator. I, I witnessed in Colorado a husband and wife do it as a part of their new marriage. And there was a guy named Scott that was administering the baptism. And so the, the husband comes down into the water first. And, and he says, you know, what, what we all say, there's this language that kind of goes with it. And, and in one swift motion, Scott, like, pops the dude in the head and pushes him under. And then he continues to talk. And this dude at this point is flailing and struggling. And so he lifts him up and it's like off his feet. He says, let's rejoice. It's your turn. And the wife goes, uh-uh. <laughs> Ain't happening now. I've seen people that are going to prison. I had a, 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 several years ago, I was in the office and I had a guy come by and was wanting to talk about some spiritual things. And we, we talked and we prayed. He says, I, I want to be baptized. So I just asked a real simple follow-up question. That, That's great news. Just tell me how you came to the decision. He said, well, I've got a court date coming up, and I'd really like to be baptized, and I'm going to need a certificate to present to the judge because I think if I can present a case that I've made, some changes in life, he might lessen my time. I went, well, maybe. Let's talk more about that. But he equated that with some sort of on track, and so that was his reasoning. I had a lady who was 86 years old, decided to be baptized. And, and just on the semantic, the logistics of it, I typically like to do this. I will kind of put my hand up in the nose area. You know, nobody wants that waterboarding effect. We don't want that. And so this, this lady I had kind of talked about, the, the imagery and what we're going to do, and I had let her know that when it comes time, all I need you to do is kind of do this, and I'm going to come right in on your hand. And so we get to that moment. We're in front of 1,000 people, and we get to that moment, and I'm like, okay. So I baptize you, and I went to take her hand, and she smacks my hand. So it kind of startled me, and I was like, okay. So I reach again, smacks my hand. Third time, smacks my hand. She looks at me, and she goes, don't touch my face. I'm like, well, you understand you're going to get water in your face. And so we went ahead and baptized, and she comes up choking. I was like, if you let me touch your face, this wouldn't happen, but hey, whatever. <laughs> Does it have to be done on a Sunday morning? Does it have to be done in a church building? Can it be done in a river? I mean, that's what we kind of see throughout the story of the New Testament. There's these rivers. Does it need to be done or administered by a pastor? I've offered it to the opportunity for parents to baptize their kids, or I've had opportunities where friends have been the primary influence on someone coming to faith and getting to know Jesus, and then they take that step toward baptism, and I'm, I'm like, hey, you know what? You should do this. This is your story. These are your friends. These are your coworkers. Why don't you do this? And I always get this question of, can I? Will it take? Does it count? And so these are real questions all surrounding baptism. 
I've seen 95-year-olds, and I've seen five-year-olds, and everything in between, and I've heard a hundred different reasons. So here's the question. How did this simple act of obedience turn into a massive state of confusion? So all I want to do this morning is I want to shed some light on this thing called baptism. And again, it's not comprehensive. We could do a series on this. And there's books. I mean, there's volumes of books. There's shelves of books that have been written. But I just want to give you what I'm going to call an identity marker today. I want to walk you through what I believe baptism is and primarily is, and that is it is an identity marker of a faith that we have developed. It's an identity marker of who we now belong to. There's lots of language about water and baptism, and, 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 it, and, and a lot of this language centers around it being an entryway, that it is something that, that puts us into something. And we're going to see some of that language today as we kind of move through some of Paul's writings in particular. But in baptism, what happens is there's this language that you are entering into something. We see this kind of arrive on the scene in John chapter 3. We see that in order to, to kind of move into or into the kingdom of faith, first and foremost, it is that faith. But then there's this language that there's also a step that involves water, that involves baptism, that is a part of the entering. And so I want to use two different words this morning. We're going to talk about entering, but we're also going to be talking about getting into. And so I want us to view baptism then as a door. And so there's this doorway, and we're going to, we're going to consider this baptism, but I want to illustrate this with a quick story. My uncle had the meanest dog you ever met. And his property was adjacent to my grandparents, and so we spent a lot of time watching this dog from a distance. Part of the reason I believe the dog was so mean is because of the way he treated the dog. Those kind of go together. But the dog was kept out back, and it was strung on a really long uh, cable. So he had a collar with a chain. The chain was on the cable, and he could run this cable. Again, I'm not advocating for that, but that's just what my uncle did. And so there was a path that the dog had wore into the grass, and you knew that over time the dog could not get past that grass and, and dirt spot. You know what I'm talking about? So you could get up to, and he couldn't get to you. But the rule was if you ever got past that grass spot, you were a target, and you were entering at your own risk. And so we were out playing in a field one day, me and several cousins, and I see my cousin in the distance. He is booking it across the field. So he hops the fence, and he's like, get to the house. I was like, what? He's like, get to the house. Run. And I'm like, why? Then I noticed just over the hill coming up for him, the dog was loose. And so he's trying to gain as much traction as he can as a 12-year-old at the time, getting to the house as quickly. So he hops the fence, and once I see the dog, I don't ask any more questions. I'm gone. And so I remember getting to and hopping up on the porch, and the dog has gained on us at this point. And we get to the doorknob, and boom, it was locked. And I went, oh, my goodness. And so I'm pounding on the door. And so finally, my grandmother comes to the door, and we kind of just do a dive motion, which I'm not going to do this morning. But we just kind of dive in and shut the door quickly. And she's like, what are you guys doing? And we're like, the dog, the dog, Junior's dog. She went, oh, that dog, I wish it would, you know, and then she kind of filled in the blanks, as my grandmother would do. And then she'd follow it up with, I'd like to do that to Junior, too. Here's the point. 
When I got to that door and I got into the other side of the door, I didn't care what was on this side of the door. All I was concerned with was what was on that side of the door. And I knew my uncle's dog was bringing wrath with him. And that's what I was trying to avoid. And I wonder if that's our view of baptism sometimes. That we are so focused on doing whatever it takes to avoid the fire. There's this concept that, you know what, if I don't do the right things, if I don't take care of being saved from something, then nothing else matters. And so I stand at this, this gateway of salvation, faith, and, and, and baptism, and I stay focused in the doorway right here. So I'm just around, and I'm, I, I, I focus right here. And I spend all of my time going, whew, I am saved from something. Namely, I'm saved from this wrathful God. I'm saved from the fires of hell. I'm saved from Satan. And I spend all of my time watching to make sure the fire doesn't creep any closer to me, any closer to my faith, any closer to this doorway I've gone through. And I spend all of my time right there. And all I care about for the next X amount of years of my life until God comes and takes me away and I get to be joined with him in heaven is all I care about, all I'm concerned is what is on this side of the door and I never stop and look on what's on the other side of the door, the doorway that I've entered. And I believe this kind of represents some of us, some of our stories. It's, it's all been in, in some time, some way, form, or fashion presented that it's all about saving us from something. And i got to be honest, when I was 10, 11, 17 even, early on in my faith, this was my primary motivation. This was my primary understanding. Oh, I knew that it had to do with Jesus. I knew that it had to do with forgiveness. I knew that if I didn't do it by a certain age, I was on the clock. Kind of like the draft this week, you're on the clock. And instead of eight minutes, you got about eight years to make a decision. And that was kind of my understanding. And so I had these moments growing up where we'd go to camp. And we'd sit and listen to the devotional talk. And it would always be some sort of like, if you died in a car wreck tonight, where would you, you know? And, and you left scared. I'm like, man, I'm 10 years old. I don't want to die in a car wreck. And so what would happen, we'd all march up the hill to the pool and get baptized. And, and I would be on this side, and I'm going, whew, at least I'm safe. I don't have to sit through another devotional and talk about a car wreck because I'm on this side of the door. And that's where it kind of just stayed with me. And I, I could get rid of the imagery of getting to the pearly gate and Peter somehow pulling a trap door. That would send me into the eternal flames. And so here's what happened with this. Is that my salvation, my faith, my baptism, all those things that go into that. They just became fire insurance. It was my policy. Where one day if I was ever faced with a fire. The possibility of Peter pulling the gate. I could go behold up. I've got fire insurance. And I spent all of my time focused on that. And here's the problem. 
It didn't change me. My faith, that was kind of the starter of my salvation. My baptism, which was a step that I had taken to identify, none of those things changed me. My habits, my desires, my heart, but I sure felt safe. Am I the only one that feels that way? Or felt that way? Or maybe I'm the only one that questions this in this way? And Jesus paints a much different picture. There's a guy named Nicodemus that he paints a picture that it's not about being saved from. It's a restart. And then if you begin to read Paul through the lives of these new churches and these new Christians, these new Jesus followers, I very quickly figure out that it's not only about being saved from something. Baptism is not only about what I'm saved from, but it's about what I'm saved into. And so this morning, all I want you to do is turn and look at the possibility of what is on the other side of the door. Because when we only focus our faith these, these moments, this process of salvation, when we only focus our faith, our confession, our baptism, all those kinds of things, when we only focus on this side of the door, we miss out on the joy and the benefit of what awaits us on the other side of the door. It's this life-giving, life-transforming. It's all throughout Scripture when it refers to this, and we're going to begin with Paul. Paul talks a lot about baptism, and here's what his goal is. He wants them, and he wants us to understand a deeper level of this. He wants us to understand what you're getting yourself into, not just what you're getting away from. And so in Romans chapter 6, Paul says this. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. See, he's saying there's going to be a change. There's a shift that happens. It's not just fire insurance. He says, no, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life life. For if we have been united with him in his death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So here's what we see. It's an identity thing. Baptism brings us into the narrative of the likeness of Jesus. So let me just kind of put it real simple. Part of the reason that we believe in immersion baptism, meaning that we kind of go under the water, is this. It's this clothing ourselves. It's identifying ourselves with Jesus. Follow with me. Jesus lived died, was buried, and what? We talked about it last week. Rose new. And so in baptism, I symbolize that. It's symbolic of me 
standing. So I'm putting myself into the narrative of Jesus. I'm identifying with Jesus. Paul says not only with his death, but also his resurrection. So I stand as old Jason. I'm buried. There we go. That's the under the water part. We won't keep you down there like Scott did. But guess what? I come out, I raise, I'm resurrected from that water grave as a new person. All of a sudden, my heart, what has already started and begun, has begun this process of salvation with my faith and my belief and my confession that I am surrendering to you. Now, all of a sudden, this act of obedience comes in and says, you know what? I want to take it a step farther. I want to identify with not just the death, but I want to identify with the resurrection of Jesus. And so it's symbolic of us dying to the old and resurrecting as a new creation. It moves us from old habits and desires into a new way of thinking. Now, that's already begun, but this is, again, it's the next step in saying, listen, I want to be like Jesus. And so guess what? I'm going to die to my old self, and I'm going to be resurrected new. And what better way to do that? What better way to let your friends know, your family know that, listen, I'm a changed person. I now am going to take on I'm going to bring into my life the narrative, the story, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But if all I'm focused on is fire, I miss out on the likeness of Jesus. And isn't that what all of this is about? That Christianity, following Jesus, coming to church, getting in a group, serving, giving, all of those things are done. Why? So that we become transformed, we become more like Jesus. And so this is a step in saying that I'm going to do something physical that makes me, that puts me into the narrative of Jesus. Death, burial, and resurrection. The second is this. That baptism puts me into, places me into, it's a reminder of My adoption into the family. Now, didn't think about this when I printed it. Don't confuse this with the Wellhouse logo. (laughs) No, and I say this. Baptism has nothing to do with becoming a partner here. It is much larger than here. That family, membership, partnership, all those kinds of things. You're never going to hear me say that you need to be baptized here. Meaning that if you were baptized somewhere else or you came to faith somewhere else that it doesn't count, you got to do it. This is not the Wellhouse logo. This is just the family logo, okay? But it's a reminder that in this moment, I am a part of, I have been adopted into the family. We talked about this last week briefly. But in Galatians chapter 3, listen to again what Paul says starting in verse 26. Paul says, so in Christ, in, into He's going to use the word into in just a second. You are all children of God through faith. That's the faith thing I was talking about. For all of you who were baptized, so he partners these things, faith and baptism, he partners them, were baptized into Christ. So you have entered into Christ. He says, therefore, you've clothed yourself with Christ, meaning you've taken on his identity. And then listen to what he says. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you go to verse 7, which I don't have on the screen, it says, You're no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you're his child, he has also made you an heir. 
Now, it's a reminder that I am family. You know, most of us in here were probably reared and, and brought up or birthed into our actual families. But I want to encourage you to find someone who's adopted and to spend some time getting to know their story. I've got a couple of cousins who were adopted, and, and, and it's amazing. And here's what they would tell you. As they have grown up in an adopted family, they would tell you that it is absolutely 100% that in that context, that there is a, a 100% capability and chance and reality that you can be fully accepted as family. They will tell you that, that I was loved and I was cared and I was made to feel exactly like family. And, and, and it's that way with, with, with the family of God. God says, listen, I'm not worried about your origins. I'm not worried about your heritage. I'm not worried about the physical. I'm not worried about your baggage, your background, your past, where you came from. I'm going to bring you into the family. And just like my cousins, when you're brought into the family, you are cared for, you are valued, you are loved, you belong just like you were born there. And this is a reminder of that. Paul says, listen, when you entered into baptism, you entered into, it's a reminder of the family. God says, through Jesus, you're in. Through that faith, through baptism, you're in. You are family. You become children. It's God saying, I chose you, I picked you, and we could cross-reference this to different places where he uses even that language of being chosen, being selected, but you are adopted to be a part of the family. It's him coming into our world and says, I want you. And in baptism, we're reminded of that. It's not fire. It's family. Jesus experiences this even in his baptism. Matthew chapter 3, Jesus goes through the water himself. He goes through this moment, this act of obedience. Now, the question is this. This is Jesus, right? If it's only about fire insurance... Why would Jesus need to go through the door? Jesus was perfect. Jesus was flawless. Jesus was in a position where there's nothing he's running from. And so the easy answer to that is, what? well, Jesus is just setting, what, an example for us. And while that may be true, I think it's only part of the answer. I think in context, if you look at the way God responds to him, it's a family matter. It's a reminder of family, among other things. And again, I told you, we don't have time to be comprehensive with this. But one of the things in this text says and comes very clear is that this is a family moment. Here's what we see. God was there. The Father was there. The Spirit is there. It, it, it descended. And Jesus was there. He's at the beginning of his ministry. He's at the beginning of this journey. And he wants to share a family moment. And look what God says. This is my Son, whom I loved and am well pleased. It's God saying that in that moment, it's family. Father and son. It's family. It's a reminder of family. It's a, it's a uniting of family. And if you begin to then tie that language to places like Galatians 3, where baptism is talked in reference to family, here's what I believe, that these words 
my son, my daughter, whom I'm well pleased. The same words that he gave Jesus are the same words that he gives us. That in these moments where faith steps are taken, where baptism is taken, it's the same words. I think he looks and he says, my son, my daughter, I'm well pleased. You are family. God is still having these little gatherings. If you look in Romans chapter 8, which we're, we're going to kind of not, I'm going to just kind of fly through for time's sake. Romans chapter, chapter 8, he talks about this. In these moments, again, it's this confirmation, it's a reminder, it's this fundamental pinning that comes under that says you are heirs, that you are co-heirs, that you belong, you are loved, so not only do I take on the likeness of Christ, but I become part of the family of Christ. And then there's one more. It's the moment where I'm released into, I set in motion my assignment in the mission of Christ, in the mission of God. I love what Max Licato says about baptism. He says this. He says that baptism separates the, the tire kickers from the car buyers. It's that, it's that moment where I'm going to say for all the world to see that I'm ready to buy a car. I'm not just going to keep shopping. I'm not just going to keep kicking tires. That I'm going to begin to set in motion an assignment into the mission. John chapter 3 Jesus is talking to a guy here, and he's, he's trying to explain to him that, that there is, it's a forecasting, it's a foreshadowing of some things to come. And, and so they're wrestling with this old covenant and this new covenant that is to come. And, and, and will the kingdom come on earth, or will the kingdom be a heavenly kingdom? There's all this discussion, and here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, he says, listen, I tell you that no one can see the kingdom unless they're born again. How can someone be born again, the guy asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. And Jesus says, well, I tell you that no one can enter into the kingdom unless they're born of water and of spirit. Now, there's a lot to that, but here's what I want to grab from that this morning. I want to grab a couple phrases. See, we not only become part of entering the kingdom, we become a part of seeing the kingdom. He first says, if you want to see the kingdom, and then he says, but there's also an entry into the kingdom. Here's what he's saying is that you can witness the kingdom being present here and now. It's not future tense, it's present tense. And here's what he's telling this guy, and he's telling us the same thing. That in this spiritual rebirth, in the symbolism of the physical rebirth, he says, you become an integral part of ushering in the kingdom. Not just entering the kingdom, but making the kingdom visible. Seeing, active, seeing the mission of God in full release and in, in, in engaged in a community where the kingdom that we think about being here descends and becomes a reality for people to not just enter, but to see. We get to be a part of not just those things, but the seeing. So let, let, me, let me kind of just real quickly break that down. See, I think a lot of times when we refer to the kingdom, we think heaven. That it's a faraway place, that kingdom is futuristic, that we think about the kingdom of God in a heavenly, futuristic, faraway, one day we'll get to the kingdom of heaven kind of place. 
But when Jesus refers to the kingdom, there's a couple different ways that he refers to it. When Jesus refers to the kingdom coming, he at times, he is referring to God bringing or restoring a kingdom in a not yet sense, that it's coming, where there's going to be this restoring of all things. And in that, there's no possibility of pain, there's no possibility of hurt, there's no possibility of death, there's no possibility of evil, that it is a futuristic. But Jesus also uses the kingdom in reference to right now. That Jesus says that when it comes to the kingdom of God, there is a right now element. Now this is so important for us, especially if you have been a Jesus follower for quite some time. Because this is a game changer. This right now element, so like when Jesus prays, your kingdom come, and then he goes on to say what? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Takes away the fact that I'm waiting on a kingdom somewhere. What it tells me is that there was a kingdom to come and it came. Therefore, the kingdom of God is active, living, able to not just be entered into in the future, but it is able, I'm able to enter into it and the mission of it in the present. And that I am an integral part of it being seen, noticed, and witnessed to. So let me see, let me see if I can tell you what that looks like. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in the midst of some, some Pharisees, some teachers of the law. He's in the temple. And so he takes a scroll down because they're discussing this kingdom, Messiah, all these things. They're discussing futuristic. So Jesus takes out a scroll and he begins to talk about something that was prophecy, but he brings it to the right now. He says, let me tell you about the kingdom that you've been waiting on, and then I'm going to jump and make a leap to it being here right now in your presence. And here's what he says. He takes out and he takes the scroll of Isaiah, a prophet. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. This is, this is not Jesus' words. This is him reading from Isaiah, a prophecy about what is to come. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recover sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And everybody goes, that's what we're looking for. That's the kingdom. We can't wait to enter into that. And they thought about it in a futuristic sense. And then verse 21, look what he says. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he rolls the scroll up and he goes, drops the mic and sits down. And they're furious. Are you telling me that you think you are the Messiah? Not just the representation, but the bearer and the bringer of the kingdom of God? And as we see this thing unfold, what we see is that, in fact, what he spoke was true. Jesus is saying that through me, the kingdom is present. That the kingdom is here right now, and you get to be a part of that. That it is God's mission for us on earth to be not just citizens of the kingdom, but to be showcasers of the kingdom. That everywhere I go and everything I do, guess what? I become 
representation because I've put my identity in Christ. I've entered into the family. I don't have to worry about over here anymore. So guess what? I get to set in motion my involvement and my making visible the kingdom of God. And so here's what, if we begin to connect this. So anytime that the poor is uplifted, I'm living into the mission. Anytime the broken in your world is ministered to, you're living into the mission as a representation of Jesus. Anytime that we get to proclaim the Lord's goodness, anytime that we're a part of the process of those who are being oppressed and enslaved, being set free, whether that's from addiction, whether that's from bondage, whether that's from emotional baggage of their past and not feeling loved and belonging and good enough, anytime that we're a part of that with the message of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, guys, it's not about fire insurance. It's about that I get to go and step into identity, belonging to a family, and I get to set in motion, not saving people from fire, but saving people in the present day and age with the kingdom becoming very evident and clear and active in their life. And that's what Jesus is saying is that I came to proclaim good news to the poor, to help the broken, to mend, and that's my mission. So I step into these things. The assignment is this, that I serve and I love people and I showcase the goodness of God. I'm committed to and I love the kingdom. And that outweighs the fear. I spent some time recently with some friends of ours whose brother was about to go on his fourth or fifth active duty overseas to war. And so I just asked the question. I said, I, I don't get it. Why? Why? And, and, and the, 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 the catch was this. He asked for it. He wasn't just assigned. He went and said, I want to go again. And I was like, why would anybody do that? So I just asked, why? Why would he continue to sign up for this? I mean, isn't he afraid that at, one, at some point he's going to roll the dice enough and it's going to be game over? And this is what she said to me. She said, my brother's love and commitment for what he believes in far outweighs any fear that accompanies it. She said, Jason, no one serves out of fear. They serve because they want to join a part of the cause and be a part of the mission. And I think in the same way God's saying, listen, everyone benefits more when you respond out of sense of servanthood, when you you respond out and you commit because of love. And your faith is built on loving God and loving people. And your identity then is built on becoming the likeness of Christ. When we respond from a place not from fear, but when we begin to respond from a place that I want to dive in and I want to be a part of people literally visualizing and seeing unfold the kingdom of God the kingdom on earth and get involved in this process not to be but is happening of restoration and offering hope that's game changing so as we land this is what people in the New Testament were responding to. They weren't responding out of fear. They were responding out of surrender. 
They were saying, I want to surrender myself into the likeness. I want to take on the identity of Christ. I want to be adopted into the family. I want to get involved in the mission. They wanted to be a part of a movement that would bring about in, in, in real time the mission bringing about change, doing things not just in the name of Jesus, but doing things in the likeness of Jesus. And by the way, that's what it's all about. It's about Jesus. It's not that you don't have a part of the story. You're an, an integral part of the story. But I think sometimes we do this with baptism. We tend to make it only about us. It's what I'm doing in order to get in right standing. And it becomes very quickly, if we're not careful, it becomes a work that I do in order to receive something. And while, again, it's a part of my faith story, it's a part of my faith journey, it's not just about you and your escape. See, when you view your salvation, when you view baptism as just fire insurance, here's what you do. You shrink the story and the narrative of God into this personal bubble of protection. And it's me saying, if, if I only make it about me, if I don't make it about the larger narrative of Jesus and what Jesus did and continues to do and what he's going to do through me, when I only do that, here's what I'm, I'm saying. I've got my policy. I'm good and good luck to the rest of you. When I only stand at the door and focus on what I have saved myself from, and I say it that way because that's what we believe, I did something that saved myself from something. I look at the world behind me that is not living life in the likeness of Christ. I look at the world behind me that struggles to belong and have any sort of identity, value, sense of belonging into a family and are living on whatever other mission that they're living on other than letting the kingdom of God be seen. When I do that, here's what I do. I say, I'm good. and Good luck to the rest of you. But when I turn and I begin to live into these things, with, with baptism being the symbol of that, when I begin to live into these things, not only do I change, not only does transformation begin to blossom in my own life, I begin to bring about change to the people around me, to the world around me, to the community around me, to the family that arounds me. Here's what I'm saying. Newsflash, the point of the story is not you. It's not me. And while I am loved, and while I am valued, I'm not the centerpiece. Jesus is. It's his story. And guys, it was happening long before us and it will continue to happen long after we're gone. So when I come to understand that he's the centerpiece and it's about what God has already done through Jesus and what God is continuing to do for me and for those that I love through Jesus, here's what will happen. You won't be able to keep me out of the water. I'll dive in. I will dive into full Surrender, and I'll make sure everybody around me knows that this is a marker. It's a step, and I want you to see it and witness it, that I am going to live my life dying to myself, being made new in Jesus, and I'm going to live my life in the context of family, and I'm going to try to get as many brothers and sisters as I can, and I'm going to live my life in mission.
I want to tell you one more story and I'm done. In Acts chapter 8, there's a story of an Ethiopian banker who's traveling with Philip, who is a close follower of Jesus at that time. Jesus has already ascended back. We've already had the Easter moment. And so they're, they're riding along in Philip's wagon. And they're studying, they're talking, they're discussing Jesus in the context of, guess what, Isaiah. The same scroll that Jesus unrolls to reveal who he is and the kingdom is coming. And so there's a discussion that happens where the Ethiopian says, I get it, I have faith in these things. I'm there, I'm all in. I see it. I see that Jesus is the gateway. I see that Jesus is the entryway. Philip, I'm all in. My faith is, is rock solid. And as they're driving along, Philip says, there's water. And the Ethiopian says, then let's do it. Let's do it. And so he dives in. And here's the beauty of it. His life changes. And God continues to do his work through me. And so what I see is this. It's not only personal. It's purposeful. It gives me purpose. Baptism reminds me of this new life that we're now living that serves as a symbol for everyone to see that I'm in. I'm partnering with, I'm restoring brokenness, and I'm going to continue to live on mission until he comes back. It's a reminder that every day when I wake up, I'm not only forgiven, but I'm brought into. And I live on purpose. And I wake up every day and I ask myself, Jesus, how can I continue to die to myself today and live and walk in your, in your resurrection, in your likeness? It's every day I wake up and I begin to say, God, how can I join up with what you're going to do today? How can I get to be a part of the kingdom, not just futuristic, but God, how do I begin to be a part of making the kingdom visible in the here and now? So my question is this, if you're not, what's stopping you? What's your next step? I already told you next week we're going to have a baptistry set up here and we're going to celebrate together and we're going to take communion after that together after talking about communion and you'll see these things connect well what's keeping you from that if you're not can, can we and, and you feel like this 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 yearning of like you know what I should really ask a question let's let's spend this week let's ask a question I want you to know this too it doesn't have to be done next Sunday it doesn't have to be done in here it doesn't have to be done by me a while back we went out to Old Hickory in the lake and baptized a couple there. We baptized people in pools and all sorts of places. But next week we're going to make it available. So it's been on your heart, it's been on your mind, or God has placed it on your heart. You say, listen, I need to make that step. Then let's talk about it. Let's make it happen. Because I want you to step into life. I want you to couple your faith, your belief, your confession. I want you to couple that with this beautiful symbolism that says... I'm on mission. I'm made new. I identify with, and I'm a part of the family.